Now I'd like to um, bring our children's director, Jana Goebel, up to, um, to talk about something that the Fusion um, Middle School group will be doing as a way to get to know um, get to know other people and in that way get to know God even better. Thanks, Isaac. Um, like you said, my name is Janet, and I'm the Director of Children's and Family Ministry at the JAR. And part of that, um, part of my job is helping out with our youth ministries. And before we get to um, what our kids are doing, I want to ask Mike and Jane Kaler to come up. Uh, Mike and Jane, over the past year, have kind of taken on our middle school ministry as their leaders and have planned great events for them and led them in Bible studies and have just been really great getting to know the kids and hanging out with them and just being their friends. And so we just wanted to take this opportunity to thank you guys. And this is for you. They've just done a great job, and we really, really appreciate all that they've done with our middle school kids. So thanks. And at this time, I'm going to ask all the kids and adults who are going on our Appalachia trip um, in a couple weeks to come on up. I think we're just missing one person this week, so we have a pretty good turnout. Um, so this is the team, and Pastor Chris is going to commission us, but I'll go ahead and introduce everyone to you. Jane is going, of course, is our one of our fusion leaders, and this is Peyton Love, who will be in the eighth grade next year at Wapahani, right? Okay, and I'm Jana, and this is Peyton Turner, and you will be in the sixth grade. I don't know the name of your middle school. Newcastle? Westwood in Newcastle. And then his dad, Dan Turner, is going with us. And Blake Midlam will be in seventh grade next year. I was right. And what school do you go to? Yorktown. I knew that. Sorry, Blake. Um, And that's my daughter, Hannah. And um, she will be in seventh grade at Northside here in Muncie. And my husband, John, is also going. And then Jennifer Wilson is going as kind of our master of all things mission um, (laughs) to help us. So I'll turn it over to Pastor Chris. Thanks, Shanna. Jana kind of gets that Oprah vibe, you know, when she gets that mic going, she might come out and start uh, asking you guys some things, too. But, uh, you know, when Jesus was on earth, um, he made it a very strong point that he would continue to reach out to people who were the least uh, of these. And um, this group will be going to Appalachia, where the poverty rate for kids is 80%. Um, It'll be in Kentucky, and so... Um, They'll be working and serving those kids in different ways. And uh, I think it's so awesome that, you know, when we first started the JAR, uh, there were only two kids. And uh, we knew the day would come where uh, we would have middle school kids and uh, we would be uh, serving our community. And it's so uh, neat to see these five kids have that opportunity. And um, as you guys go, uh, both adults and uh, kids, uh, there are some... uh, vows that we want to encourage you to um, hold to. And uh, so as I share them, uh, if you can just say, I will, uh, that'll be great. Uh, The first one is this. Will you commit to living in a way where what you do and the way you do it will bear witness to Jesus Christ? And will you be open to listening to what God has to say to you during the week? And uh, this is just to our students, but uh, will you obey the adults? (laughs) Now, this is what I mean by obey. 
basically don't break any of their bones, okay? So, uh, and listen to what they say, all right? So if you guys will obey them as they go through there, would you please say, I will. All right, well, let's pray for this group, and uh, let's go from there. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you so much uh, for the life of uh, Peyton and Blake and Hannah and uh, Peyton. And also thank you for uh, Dan and Jana and Jane and Jennifer and John. And God, I pray that as this group goes to one of the poorest places in uh, our nation, that they would be your hands and feet. And God, that they would uh, bless uh, the people and uh, that they would receive blessing as well. And I ask, Lord God, that you would protect them and keep them safe. I pray that you would use the gifts and talents that each one of them have and uh, that they would use that to honor you in a big way. And that they would know that as they go, they don't represent simply themselves, but all of us here at the JAR as we try to uh, reach out and show your love, uh, not only in our local community, um, but in Appalachia as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't this a good-looking group? Let's give them a hand. There we go. Works better when you turn it on. Um, Well, if uh, again, my name is Isaac, third time. Still haven't changed it. Um, And if you're new here, we just want to um, welcome you here and connect with you. And so... I'd like to turn your attention to the program, and you can pull out your Connect card. This card is how we can get to um, know your information so we can keep you connected with what is going on in our community here. And and so please feel free to fill that out, fill out how you heard about the JAR. You can also uh, fill out prayer requests that you have that we keep confidential, and our prayer team prays for those each week. So, um, So feel free to fill that out. If you've been around the jar for like more than 10 seconds, you've probably figured out that we really like serving and we really like doing things for other people and we really like um, investing in our community um, around us from the team that's going out to other ways that we are doing that um, here as well. And so I'd like to show um, a short video of just something that we're going to be doing um, just to kind of explain and then I'll come on the back end and fill you in if you're really confused. up with your towel in one hand and a freezy pop in the other. Throw a freezy pop to that guy over there who is overheating. He's on fire. And I'm sure he'll appreciate a towel too to wipe that perspiration from his face. So work on that throwing arm and come out here on July 19th to the Gus Macker in downtown Muncie. We're going downtown now. Don't just go to church. Be the church. Please, no questions about how I do that. Sometimes you do things during the week and you forget that you're going to show it to a bunch of people. It's a lot more, it's a lot funnier in your room than it is when you uh, put it out there. But um, that's what we have going on. July 19th is um, Gus Macker here 
in downtown Muncie, and um, instead of in previous years where we're competing for parking and competing with, like, man, well, we're trying to have church and they're trying to play basketball, we're going to come here, we're going to sing some songs, and then we're going to go serve the people that are playing basketball and just be part of what's going on um, and just show them what it means to, um, to have the love of Christ. So um, plan on being there for that Sunday. It'll be um, a neat experience for all of us. And, um, yeah, so it should be exciting. I'd like to ask our greeters to come forward. Um, again, we have um, another way that we're serving is our kids are serving us today. And so as you've seen them greeting you um, and taking the offering, um, yeah, we're just thankful that we have so many great servant hearts here. Uh, but the offering is for the people who value the, the mission and vision of the jar and are learning to give. So again, if you're new here, we don't want your money. Um, we just want to get to know you, so just give us the Connect card, and that's all you need to drop in the offering. So let's pray and just ask God to bless this offering. Well, God, we just uh, come before you, and we're just um, more and more aware that everything that we have um, is a gift from you. And so, um, God, we give our gifts and our talents to you, and we pray that you would show us how to best use them to impact our community and um, connect people with a God who knows them best and loves them most. And um, we pray for Pastor Chris right now and just pray that you would um, fill him with your spirit. And as he gives, um, gives this teaching, I just pray that we would be challenged to, um, to live a life of spiritual excellence. And we just pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks, Isaac. Um, we really do want to encourage you, though, to make sure that uh, you put that date on your calendar, July 19th. And I know that uh, July is the time when people go on vacation a lot. So um, July 12th, we're also going to be having an uh, outreach for the Muncie Mission. And so uh, if the 19th is not something that you'll be able to do, if you could do it on the 19th, uh, that'll be a, a great opportunity uh, for you to serve um, people at the Muncie Mission as well. Our goal on the 19th is to have 250 adults uh, and children to just kind of blanket our community with love. So uh, put it on your calendar now, uh, invite people to come, tell them they'll get a free Freezy Pop. Maybe. All right. Well, good morning and welcome. My name is uh, Chris, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, several years ago, a guy by the name of uh, Ernest Kurtz wrote a book on the history of the AA movement of Alcoholics Anonymous. And the name of the book was called this not God. He, he wrote that alcoholics live with the delusion that they are in control of everything, when the truth is they can't even control their own lives. And so he writes this, fundamental to the recovery process is that healing and sanity begin with the realization that I am not God. Simply put, I am not God. I'm not in control of the universe. I cannot uh, even control myself. I violate my own values. I want to do one thing, and then I do something else. I have weakness and limitations. I need help from a power greater than myself. I am not God. Now, of course, we know that this illusion that I am God is not just limited to alcoholics. Every single human being struggles with that. 
Do any of you remember what was behind the very first sin that was ever committed? It happened in the very first book in Genesis. Anybody remember? An apple or a fruit, that's good. But that wasn't the biggest sin. This was the sin. The Bible says this, The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat this fruit, your eyes will be opened and what? And you will be like God. The very first temptation was, I want to be like God. I want to be the master of my own universe. I don't want to submit to anyone else's wisdom. I want to be like God. And people have been falling into this temptation ever since. Because at the heart of sin and spiritual confusion is the desire to be your own God. Now we're in the process right now of developing a recovery ministry that we will uh, kind of spearhead and talk about more in the fall. And one of the things that we've learned with the team of people that uh, I have worked with is that when recovery meetings start, they begin with a reminder of spiritual sanity. The first thing that people say when they talk at one of these meetings is, my name is Chris and I'm an alcoholic. Just to get it clear that you know who I am, I am not God. So I thought this morning we'd have our own little recovery meeting, okay? And so I'd like you to turn to the person beside you and instead of saying your own name, I want you to say their name, and you'll say this. Your name is, if the person was sitting beside me, your name is Chris, and you are not God. Okay? So why don't you look to the person beside you and re- remind them of that, okay? Okay, you don't have to debate this, okay? <laughs> Some of you are trying to debate it right now, okay? So for the rest of our time, what I want to do is I want us to look at three truths that I think are very important to remember in this thing called life, and particularly as we learn about the life of Daniel in chapter 2. The first truth is this, which you've already had someone else tell you, but now I want you to write it down because you just might have forgotten it already, okay? And this is the first point. I am not God, okay? I am not God. So write it down, okay? There's a teaching outline. You can write it down there. Now, last week, we looked at one of the central characters of the story of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar. We learned that he was a ruthless and violent political leader who saw the world revolving around himself. So, for example, this is what it would look like. I don't know how to spell King ne- or Nebuchadnezzar, so I'm just going to put King Neb, okay? And then here is the world, and the world revolves around him. And he's in control. He's in charge. People exist to make him happy. The world revolves around him. And a lot of people live in this delusion. We say that they have a messianic complex or that they are the king of the castle. 
Or maybe, just maybe, it looks like this. Jana. The world revolves around her. Or, you know, there was a guy up here earlier. He said he was up here three times. And he even has to be on the video screen, you know? All right. Rough crowd this morning, you know? Lighten up a little bit. Maybe more like it. (laughs) And the reality is, folks, every single one of us could put our name there. And this was the reality of King Nebuchadnezzar. He thought that the world revolved around him. And we can be tempted into the exact same thing. He wanted what he wants when he wants it. Now last week we learned that he was troubled and frustrated and upset about this particular uh, dream that he had. And so... He wanted his advisors to tell him what his dream was and then to interpret it for him. He must have forgotten what it was because he wouldn't have asked otherwise. If he knew his dream, he wouldn't ask anyone. But he wanted to know. And then after making this impossible request, he tells them that if they can't do this, he will know that they are uh, conspiring to try to overthrow him. And so in his paranoia, he tells them they will be killed if they can't tell him his dream and then interpret it. Now this is what I call a politician being emotionally immature. But we don't have politicians like that today, do we? No. You know, power has a way of confusing people about who's really at the center of the world. And it can happen so easy. There's a story... uh, about Lyndon Johnson, who was the 36th President of the United States. For those of you who are young, they called him LBJ. And LBJ came to a meeting one time, and they were getting ready uh, to uh, start the meeting, and he looked to his press secretary, Bill Moyer, and he said, why don't you lead us in prayer? You're an ordained pastor. And so Moyer did, but he was on one side of the table, and he was praying real quiet. And pretty soon, LBJ, the president of the U.S., is on the other end. And he said, Moyer, speak up. I can't hear you. And Moyer said, I wasn't talking to you, sir. I'm not God is one of the biggest hurdles, folks, that we have to jump over. It's it's hard for us to think of ourselves not at the center of the world, especially when things don't turn out the way that we want them. So tomorrow, when you're in the midst of traffic on McGalliard and uh, you're ready to throw in the towel, or when your kids spill something, or when a task takes longer than what you anticipated it to, instead of getting all bent out of shape, instead of showing road rage or spill rage or task rage, why don't you just tell yourself, I'm not God. The world does not revolve around me. And it does not exist for the purpose of sparing me frustration. 
This is what I've learned. When frustration comes into my life, it's an ability for me to either gain patience in my life or continue to go down to a road of trying to think I have to be in control. In our story today, King Nebuchadnezzar believes that he's God. He believes that he's the center of his own universe. His dream, his trouble, his frustration, his anxiety, his inadequacy. He is all that he can see in his world. He is blinded by everything else. And he fears that the future is going to be bad for him because he can't control it. And that's his worldview. Now, his advisors have a different worldview, which we looked at last week, and I thought it would be important for us to take a look again this week. When the king makes this impossible request that you tell me my dream, exactly what I dreamt, and then interpret it, this is what the advisors say. The scripture says, The astrologers replied to the king, There isn't a man alive who can tell your majesty his dream. And no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of a magician, enchanter, or astrologer. There is an impossible thing. This is an impossible thing the king requires. No one except the gods can tell you your dream. And they don't live among people. And the advisors were right. Only a god could take care of this. But when they said, God doesn't live among people, it made me think this week. Have you ever asked yourself, does God really live here on earth? Does He know me? Does He care about me? Or am I left alone to just kind of go through this thing called life by myself? You know, it's kind of a funny thing, but I've been studying the Scripture a lot because we've kind of looked at the second chapter the last two weeks. And there's kind of been an ouch factor for me in my life. You see, I believe that God is present and that He's with me. I believe He's as close as my next breath. I believe that um, He's ready to hear us and listen from us any time that we talk to Him. But sometimes I don't live it that way. A problem enters my life and instead of going to God, I start to worry. I have a burden and instead of placing it at His feet, I try to carry it myself. I have my own agenda and instead of asking God what He would have me to do, I do my own thing. And oddly enough, the result of this way of life is exactly what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Because I try to be my own God. I get preoccupied with myself. All I see is the anxiety and the constant worry in my life. And I feel like I've got to solve everything that's in my life. I feel inadequate. Because I'm not who I want to be. Or not as good as I wish I was. And I can't handle everything. And I fear because I don't know what the future holds. And finally, I finally have to come to the grips that I am not God. And I don't have to control everything. Out of God's grace then, He reminds me of what I think is the second most important truth in this thing called life. And it's this. I'm not God, but I'm His friend. I'm not God, but I'm His friend. 
That's one of the things that I love about Daniel's life. He realizes that he's not God. But God is his friend. If you remember last week, King Nebuchadnezzar gets this group of advisors. They can't give him his dream, and so he decides that he is just going to kill all the wise men, including Daniel and his friends. Daniel doesn't try to come up with his own plan or seek his own guidance, but he immediately goes to God in prayer, and he asks friends around him to pray as well. And then God gives him this dream and this interpretation of it, and Daniel praises God by saying this, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are His. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. Now we'll come back to this particular hymn that He gives to us at the end of our teaching this morning. But I want you to see that Daniel, once he receives it, he immediately praises and thanks God. And then after that, the story goes like this. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Who's the one that initiates this whole conversation? Daniel or Arioch? Daniel, right? The guy who's on death row. He's waiting to be executed. He decides he'll go to his executioner. But then at verse 25, look what it says. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once, and he said what? I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. Now, Arioch is involved in what the media does often, and, uh, or try, they try to do, or politicians try to do, and it's called spin control. The truth is, Daniel is the one who sought him out, not the other way around. But because he wants to look good in front of King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes and he says, this was all my idea. I found the man. And it's kind of like this flavor. You know, King... It was tough. You know? I mean, like, I was looking, you know, through all of the Babylonians and I couldn't find them. But, you know, an idea came to my mind. If I go to some of those slaves, then I'll find one. And so I did. I went through a whole bunch of them and I found the one king and here he is. Now, I want you to contrast that with how Daniel responds in verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And look at how Daniel responds. He says, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Daniel just refuses to take credit. He looks and he says, I'm not smart enough to do what you're asking me to do. But there is a God in heaven who can. He goes on to describe the dream and interprets it. And we'll look at that in just a second. But then he goes on into verse 36 and he says this. Daniel said, this was the dream and now we will interpret it to the king. 
Now the question is, who's he referring to when he says, we? Well, almost certainly what Daniel's including is his friends. If you remember it was his friends who spent the whole night praying, asking that God would reveal the dream to Daniel. And now Daniel has the dream, and for most of us, if we're getting ready to be in an important place, we'll kind of say, yep, it was my dream, and uh, this is what happened. But he doesn't do that. Daniel remembers it was his friends who prayed, and he says, we will interpret the dream. And I love that small little detail about Daniel's life. Because it shows that Daniel wasn't concerned about who was getting the credit. And in fact, in verse 49, at the end of the story, after the king has honored Daniel enormously, it says this, Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon. Daniel wants all of his friends to get credit. He wants them to be promoted to whatever level that they can be. And you know what? I love that about Daniel's heart. The reality is, I wish I had more of that in my heart. Because if I'm not God, I don't have to worry about trying to shape things. I don't have to get bent out of shape about things when credit comes. I don't have to worry about looking good in front of other people and impress them or trying to climb up the ladder of success. Because God sees and God knows. And I tell you, I think this is why I value and I'm drawn to people who don't take themselves so seriously. That's why I'm married to the woman that I'm married to. A couple of weeks ago, it was my birthday. My 29th birthday. Again. And on the day before my birthday, I was in Cincinnati at a meeting. And uh, the meeting got over. I'm getting ready to walk out to my car, and I get a phone call. And it's Jennifer. And she says, hey, have you left yet? And I go, no. Um, But I'm walking out to the car. I'm just getting ready to get in, and I'll be home soon. And she said, well, would you wait for a little bit? She goes, I have a special package for you. I'm like, ah, great, you know, traffic's going to be bad. So I go back into the building, I get my laptop computer out, I'm thinking, well, maybe I can get a couple emails done. And then I start thinking in my head, she's going to be sending balloons or flowers, and, you know, that always makes a guy look so manly, you know. (laughs) A big old, you know, dozen roses from your life. Oh, boy, pretty boy, you know, I don't know. And all of a sudden, I started hearing something, and I thought it was my daughter. I'm like, oh gosh, I've heard that voice so much, maybe it's just like in my head now, you know. And pretty soon, here comes my daughter, Jordan, and my wife walks up and she goes, I'm the special package. (laughs) And uh, we went away and we had a great, you know, day together, kind of celebrating my a birthday with my parents and our two girls. And what I learned from that again was, Jen is so selfless. I would have never thought to have done that on her birthday because I didn't, to be quite honest. But she did. 
And Daniel gives credit to God. He gives credit to his friends. He just becomes selfless as a person. He is not God, but God is his friend. And I love that about Daniel. Well, finally, let's get to the dream. In verse 31, Daniel says, You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. And he goes on to describe it. It's got a head of gold and chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, feet of iron and clay. It's kind of this image of power and strength and might. And then Daniel specifically then tells King Nebuchadnezzar where he is at in this. He says, You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Daniel tells him in the dream just how powerful he is. He tells him, you're not just in control and you don't have power over people as a politician, as the politician of the world, but you even have control over the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He is the ruler of people and every create creature. If he wants them, they're his. And I kind of picture King Nebuchadnezzar going, man, this dream is good. Wow. I'm looking awesome now. You know, I mean, this is great. Let's just stop there. And then Daniel says in verse 39 this, After you, another kingdom will rise. Now, scholars debate about what the different metals represent on what the kingdoms are. The text doesn't tell us what it is. However, it does tell us that at the base of the statue are feet of clay. Iron mixed with clay. And Daniel makes it perfectly clear that all his power, all his splendor, all the splendor that's on this statue stands on merely human foundation. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar has built is at a human level. And it's utterly vulnerable. And one day, it's going to blow away. Daniel says in verse 34, While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck that statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. And about that time, King Nebuchadnezzar is like, where's my sword? You know, where did I leave it? This is a nightmare now. But Daniel continues on in verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all the kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning 
of the vision of the rock cut out of mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. And what Daniel's doing here is he's prophesying. He's predicting the biggest moment in human history. He himself wouldn't see it. And millions of people would not see that over the next few centuries. And yet they would ask themselves, because they'd heard this story before, will Daniel's prophecy, his prediction, ever come true? What would it look like if this happened? And then one day, a poor carpenter from a poor community started his public ministry and he began it by saying this, Turn away from your sins and turn towards God. For the kingdom of God is now right here. And the Bible tells us that when people heard Jesus say these words, they trembled. Because they all remembered what Daniel had said centuries before that. Jesus was the rock. He wasn't cut out by human hands. He was not prepared by human hands. The Bible says this, the living stone, Jesus Christ, exactly what Daniel had predicted centuries before, the living stone will be rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. Daniel predicted that Jesus Christ God's one and only Son would break into human history. And when Jesus broke into human history, He wasn't this God who was far removed from everyone else. He wasn't a distant God. He wasn't a sleep-deprived God. He wasn't a frustrated God. He wasn't an angry God. He wasn't a God who had bad dreams. But He would be a personal God who said, if you have relationship with me, I'll have relationship with you from now until eternity. And Daniel just reminds us. He says, I'm not God. I don't have to promote myself. I don't have to make sure that I get lots of credit for all kinds of stuff. God knows. God sees. I am not God, but He is my friend. I'm God's child. And it doesn't matter if I'm a slave who is living in a prison right now. And I'm on death row. There is a God in heaven. And He's not, in, uh, he's not just in heaven. But He's right beside me. God is not way up there, but He knows me. He cares for me. He loves me. He's right beside me. Even when I'm not beside Him, He's beside me. I'm not God. But I'm his friend. And here's kind of the final truth to remember in this thing called life. And it's this. I'm not God, but I'm his friend, so I can stop worrying. I'm not God, but I'm his friend, so I can stop worrying. Today, God invites you, where you're at right now, to stop worrying. Now, I'm not trying to lay a big guilt trip on you. Because if you're like me, I'm a person who struggles with worry. And so what happens is you worry, and then you feel guilty about worrying. And most people know that it says in the Bible, don't 
worry. And so you start worrying about the fact that you're worrying and you're guilty and then you worry more. You worry because you're worrying and you know it's wrong. Anyone ever been there before? Yeah. I don't carry the world on my shoulders because my shoulders aren't big enough to do this. So God, I'm going to just give this to You. And anytime worry comes, just use it as a little prompting from God. You see, even Daniel, who is a slave in a foreign land, sitting on death row, he is convinced that he is in competent hands. And in the closing verse, we read this, Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Now this is what is fascinating to me about this story. And listen up. Daniel has just now received everything that he'd asked from God. And you would think it's right here that he would praise God, that he would lift him up, that this is where the hymn should be. This is where the song of praise should be at. But the song and the hymn of praise doesn't happen here. Where's it happen at? That's why you pay me the big bucks to remind you. It happens in verse 20. In the middle of the story. At this point, he's talked to God and God said, hey, here's the dream, here's the interpretation of it, but he's still on death row. He doesn't know if he'll ever get to see King Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't know if he's just waiting for his head to be you know, chopped off next. He doesn't know that even if Nebuchadnezzar says, yeah, bring him in, maybe he's just going to laugh at him and go, oh, geez, go ahead, get out of here. He doesn't know that if he comes in there, he might offend him in some way. Some misinterpretation and his head's cut off. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why Daniel should be worrying right now. Because nothing has changed, folks. Yeah, he knows the dream and he's got the interpretation, but his circumstances haven't changed whatsoever. And you know what Daniel says? That's enough. That's enough for me. I know who's driving the bus of my life. In verse 20, we have no idea how the story is going to end. And yet we're asked to praise God like Daniel did in the middle of our stories, even when we don't know how it will end. Today the reality is every single person in this place is in the middle of your story. You might be going through some tough stuff right now, but guess what? You're just in the middle of your story. And do you know what we do when we're at the middle of our story? You praise God. No person here knows how our story is even going to end in the next hour, let alone for the next dozens of years. 
We don't know how they'll turn out. Maybe there will be exciting and wonderful things that happen to our lives. Maybe there will be some really difficult and painful things that are going to happen to our lives. We don't know how the story is going to turn out, but we know who's driving our lives. We know who has the, hand, the, the world in His hands. And I just want you to know this morning, you can trust in His care and in His confidence. This morning, all of us gather in the middle of our stories. And we pour out to ourselves to God in worship. To the One who knows you best and loves you most more than anyone else who holds the seasons of time in His hands, who sets up kings and presidents and who is not afraid to tear them down. You see, folks, there is an all-powerful, an all-knowing, an always-present God who is here. And this week, when anxiety and worry kick into your life, just remind yourself, I am not God. But I'm his friend.
Well, God has a homework assignment for you this week. And make sure you take your program so you don't forget, okay? And it's this. Take a vacation away from worry this week. Just take a vacation. And um, when you start to worry, just remind yourself, I'm not God, but I'm His friend, so I don't have to worry. Let's pray. God, we thank You so much that You are a God who uh, loves us in spite of uh, ourselves sometimes. And Heavenly Father, You are so aware of the foolish things that we do in our life as though sometimes we think we are God. So help us to remember today, God, that You are God and we are not. Thank You for choosing us as Your friends, as Your children. And for some people today, God, this may be the time that they accept You as the God of their life for the very first time. And if you've never done that before, you might just say this little prayer quietly in your mind to yourself. God, I know you're in control, and I am not. I turn away from the sin of trying to be my own God, and I turn to you as the God of my life. Thank you for accepting me as is. In Jesus' name. Have a great week. Take a vacation from worry. Know that you're loved. Thanks.